Welcome back to the Protest Coverage Podcast. I'm Kevin Xavier. As the Black Lives Matter movement in New York City turns its attention to intersectionality, we are humbled to bring you the perspective of a Black disabled leader. Jermaine Greaves was known before he became involved in the movement, thanks to a viral video of him dancing at an Afropunk concert in Brooklyn late last year. But in the middle of a national reckoning, he is rediscovering his voice. On this episode of the podcast, we hitch a ride on the roller coaster that has been Jermaine's life over the last 12 months. A year filled with happiness and heartbreak and hope. So with that, we're pleased to present to you the founder of Black Disabled Lives Matter, Jermaine Greaves. The protest coverage podcast starts now. How are you, Jermaine? I'm fine I'm, I'm really thrilled to be on this platform this is not new to you prior to this you were trying to carve your space to to find a voice i've seen some of your dance videos and things of that nature where you were trying to bring attention to people who seem to be forgotten in many circles even in this movement so that's why i wanted to have you on just to talk a little bit about your organization what you're trying to do and the message that you have so many things I'm trying to do and I feel like I've accomplished a lot of it because the dance video that you saw I was only viral like a year ago that was 12 months ago when the pandemic hit I had to reposition my brand a lot so I was just like what else can I do besides the dance videos I started doing um, some dance classes online with some people across the world like the UK I just for me, I think my purpose is trying to show that people with disabilities can live like their full life. That's always been an important thing for me, trying to show people that people with disabilities are not one way or another way, but they can be as many ways as they see themselves. Do you feel heard in this movement, Jermaine? Um, well, a story about that is the first protest I ever went to this year was back in June and I was in the back of the line. So initially, no. But I feel like because I did Black Disabled Lives Matter and it was an important thing in this movement, I'm beginning to become heard and people are beginning to hear stories of people with disability that they don't normally listen to. So I would say initially no, <laughs> but as you start to build something, people will listen. So. So I, I feel like right now with what I'm doing with Black Disabled Lives Matter, people are listening. Prior to that, I didn't even know how to protest. It wasn't that I didn't want to go to a protest for myself, but I was afraid of it not being accessible and it not being safe for me to go. So that was a concern I had even before I did something like this. Like for me, it was like, can I protest as a wheelchair user? And because when I went to that first protest back in June, I realized people are not realizing that people like me want to protest, but we're in the back of the line and we're not priority in the back of the line. I feel like the movement is catching on to listening to what people with disabilities have to say 
because of what I am doing and I'm grateful to be in a position to do that and I'm honored to do this work right now. I am I'm in a space with this kind of work that it's what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, we may have organizations that say they represent people with disabilities, but somebody who is disabled, who is black and disabled. And what people don't know is that 50% of people with disabilities are black. They're being murdered by the cops. At least 30 to 50% of them are black and disabled. So you cannot say Black Lives Matter without mentioning the disability. I think when you look at George Floyd, Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, and some people that were disabled, they were Black and disabled and shot by the cops. So I think, do I feel hurt in this movement? The answer is yes. <laughs> but like I said, initially, when I went to my first protest as a protester, when I wasn't doing a movement like this, I just saw an issue with me being there and nobody thinking of accessibility. Well, it's important, you know, and it's something we hear all the time when we're out with the marches, and that is all Black Lives Matter. And, you know, we're often with the Stonewall March, and that's always mentioned, that if all Black Lives Matter, then Black trans lives must matter. To your point, it seems like you're in the same boat. So I'm happy to hear that um, people are starting to catch on to your message and what you're trying to shine a light on. So I did want to talk about that a little bit because throughout New York City, although it's renowned for its mass transportation, accessibility for people who are disabled is limited at best. I'm just curious about your experience trying to navigate your way through the city. Well, for example, when I plan the stuff with Black Disabled Lives Matter. I'm looking at maps. I'm looking at routes with my team. And we're just constantly uh, tweaking things because we already know that there may be a delay. A train may not be working. So we plan for train delays, bus delays, and things of that nature simply because as, as a regular wheelchair user who uses the buses, subways and the trains and has been a New Yorker for a very long time, you kind of learn like, okay, maybe this train isn't going to work today or, or, or when you get to a stop, you may not be able to get there as quickly as you want to because the train is out of service, the bus is out of service. Anybody that is a wheelchair user already knows that they're already aware that the buses are not accessible, the trains are not accessible. And that's really an issue for the MTA and, and, and the people in the transportation department. It is not enough to add in new buses and new trains every year and call it accessibility. I would urge the MTA to really consider bringing in people with disabilities into their offices, into their planning of putting the buses and routes in because we are the ones that's taking it a lot of the time. And most of the time, we're not a priority in the, in the planning. When, when a train is down, when a bus is down, I know for me, I've had plenty nights before the pandemic where I'm coming home late from throwing an event and like, I'd have to figure out how am I going to get home? Most of the times I'd have to decide, okay, I'm going to take a cab from here because the wait for a bus, that's over an hour. <laughs> 
So, so these are things that people don't consider that person that has a disability has to think about where they're going to go before they're going to go. How long is it going to take them to get there? What bus and train they have to take and the kinds of things that we go through just to get the proper accessibility is, is not even remotely fair. Yes, we have accessor rides, but they have moments where they're unreliable too. So again, I'm at a point now with accessibility where I would like more organizations like the MTA and other transportation systems across the United States and internationally to bring in people with disabilities to have the conversation. And that's why I'm doing this movement. I want us to be at the table of a lot of these conversations when it comes to how we live. I refuse to just be on the sidelines dealing with these things in private and people don't know about it. And we have a lot of things going against us, not just that we're black, but we're also disabled. And if you're in any of the other groups such as LGBTQIA and other marginalized groups, indigenous and disabled, trans and disabled, there's more things that are going against you besides your disability. And you have to live with the fact that because you're in these different marginalized groups, you have a disability on top of being marginalized and almost invisible. The thing that has upset me about the COVID crisis is the simple fact that the disabled community has not been talked about or the elderly as much as they should. Why is it that there was this outbreak in a nursing home? If you have the proper PPE, we wouldn't be having these conversations. And another thing I wanted to say today that was extremely important to say, no Democrat or no Republican will save you. No government will save you. This movement has taught me that we, the people, must save ourselves. We have to do that in this movement. We have to have the difficult conversation of why certain people are not free. You know, our system is not going to save us. We have to save us, but we have to build community around us. That also means checking in on people. That also means making sure that people are doing okay and surviving during the global pandemic. I think for disabled people, the pandemic is, has not affected us as much because we have been conditioned to do a lot of things on our own. And because we are often the ones that are in isolation, a lot of the times we don't have to deal with, okay, just because something is not working, we have to come up with a new way to figure it out in our situation. During this pandemic, my mom had COVID and my sister passed away. So I was oh, dealing with- hear that, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. So that's some of the stuff I was dealing with. And for me, I remember I came out the first time ever in my life during this pandemic to a march. And I feel like those, those two people were the reason, but more than that, I was just tired of feeling like I'm at home. And, and before I had my current job, I was also unemployed, but getting pandemic money and watching the news like everybody else wondering where the second stimulus check would be. Because for someone like me, I wasn't working at the time, which was from March of this year to like August-ish. So I, I wasn't really working. And I was like, 
am I going to get pandemic money? And, you know, these are things that I was concerned about because at the time I didn't have a job. <laughs> and I was unemployed for about a year. So I didn't have a job for that long in the middle of a pandemic also. But although I was on unemployment, it was only until I got the pandemic money that I was able to really catch up on bills and actually be able to pay to go back to school. The pandemic money is not just money for people to have. It's helping people actually survive. So when you think about the unemployment pandemic money that the Congress is currently stalling, it's helping people like me survive. It's helping us be able to pay our bills because someone like me, although I have a job now, I don't know the next time I will get a job. Because for someone like me, you're looking at, can this person actually do the job? Are they physically able to do the job? And can they do the job? When people think, I look at disability and employment, you have to be able to create an environment where we're able to work. An example I will give you, I had a situation where I was working at Macy's and basically my wheelchair broke down Mm. and it broke down for almost 10 months. The situation had gotten so bad that they put my latencies against me, but they didn't help me to fix the situation. They didn't even look for ways to help me in that retail environment where you're working with people on a day-to-day basis. I went to all these places and I didn't get any help because that situation was long over. I could talk about it a little bit more. Macy's had actually tried to, around the time I was going viral, put a case against me because they were saying I was late and blah, blah, blah. But at the time, they knew that I didn't have a proper wheelchair. They didn't do what they were supposed to do to help me get the accessibility services and the support service as I needed at my job. That's a problem. And there's so many people with disabilities that go through that every day. It's it's not just me. It's, it's other people that are like me that are working right now and don't have the adequate support services at their job right now. So for me, I have to speak about these things because there's people that are going through it much worse than I have. You know, obviously one of the big cries of this movement is to defund the police. Um, And in New York City, as you know, folks think there's a lot of money in there that could be reallocated for other societal community services. I imagine what you're referencing would fall under that umbrella. Yes, but but also I will give you a proper reason why they should defund the police. If we look at the case of Elijah McClain and Walter Wilson Jr., there was no training on how to approach those people. And even if you look at the case of Matthew Russian, where he had ADHD and all these different disabilities, he had a pardon recently, but they charged him like 50 years, but it was reduced to 10, but he recently got a pardon. He had a whole host of mental health issues. The problem I have with the police is simply this. You don't have the proper mental health training to deal with these kinds of situations. So I think getting people that are in the mental health facilities or 
or somebody that, that's trained to do that, to train these officers. Because we have to look at the police in this country. Police officers in this country are just trained to shoot. So we have to just dismantle the entire system and take it a step further. Go to these police officers and give them the type of trainings you think they should be taught. I think BLM and other movements can do one better by bringing something to the table and also the governors in all these different states be willing to listen to the activists because we are living in this. It's real for a lot of us. Listen to the disabled activists, listen to the Black Lives Matter activists, listen to the trans activists because they are the ones who are in this movement and sharing this experience. If you're not listening to us, and also I'm gonna take it a step further. A lot of us activists should be running for governor, senator, like Cora Bush did. Cora Bush did it and other activists that were in the movement. Uh, around the time of Ferguson have done it. We need to see the type of representation in our Congressional Congress that is the squad. Because if, if we're able to see ourselves in these types of spaces, then we won't have the issue of the lack of representation and the things that we deal with. But I, but I also think that because we live in an ableist society, that people are able-bodied and able to kind of do what they want to do. So they're not thinking about uh, people with disabilities or, or specifically black people with disabilities who have full lives, who are living on their own, who are independent, who may have some assistance, but it's not in their peripheral view. So, so again, it's really an out of sight, out of sight, out of mind context which is when you don't think about it, it doesn't become a priority for you. And that's why people like me have to be here. Um, Amani Barboa, she's another disabled activist. And there's other disabled activists out there. It's Lolo. She's another one who's a disabled influencer. There's other influencers. There's disabled hippie. There are disabled voices out there, but if you're not looking for them and you're not doing the, the advocacy work about learning about disabled history like Brad Lomax or Harriet Tubman or, or people that are, or are, are disabled and have been a part of American culture and, and are disabled and, and, you know, and living their lives. Or like Jamani Williams, who is who has a disability also. So, I mean, you have to start doing the work. And um, I want to give a shout out, Eric Adams, for coming to our second march. For me, my goal is to infiltrate systems that told me I couldn't be there. A lot, a lot of what I am doing in this movement is basically redefining what disability looks like in the context of marching, in the context of what I do professionally, which is an event planner, and I'm, uh, I have a clothing brand known as Not Like the Other Kids. That's what I do professionally, and these are the things I've done. Um, I'm a professional dancer, as everyone has seen on my Instagram. <laughs> um, but outside of that, outside of that, and I'm a professional actor on the side, and I'm currently a college student. So that's a lot of things to do. It is, and you're, um, and you're managing it better than most ableists, I would imagine. Yes, I, I am, you know, my background in event planning is helping me with that. 
<laughs> and to know how to schedule things. Yeah, you got the organization down. Doing. My background professionally is working for Afropunk and a music festival, working in those very tight environments where you kind of have to learn how to be organized and you don't have the luxury of getting away with certain things. Right now, I work for Lincoln Center. So you work in these very professional environments that are very tight, a certain type of way, and you have to be in a deadline you're, you think differently. But getting back to my point, I actually wanted to say something to President Trump and President Biden. So first things first, President Trump. Um, President Trump, you don't care about anybody. You never did. You probably never will. You're very selfish. And I despise you. I, I just think a man like President Trump is too selfish and too egotistical to see the kinds of things that he's doing. He does not care about the American people. He never did. And I'm glad he's leaving. Um, you did nothing for us, and I cannot stand you. The end. Um, What's your message um, for uh, President-elect Biden? How do I say this? I don't want political buzzwords from President-elect Biden and Kamala Harris. I want action. I want people to mean what they say and do what they say they're gonna do. I don't want a nice speech. I don't want fluffy words. You've heard it all before. I just want people to do what they're going to do and mean what they're gonna say. Um, because he's somebody with a disability, I will give him grace, but I just want people to mean what they're gonna say. You know, And even with the stimulus talks in Congress, a lot of what I'm seeing politically is just you're using a bill that you passed over the American people's head. In Canada, for example, they've given people $2,000 in the pandemic regardless. In other parts of the world, they're giving people stimulus money regardless. Why is it that we can only get 1200 for six months, and that's the stimulus check. People are not making enough money now to even survive. So to President-elect Biden and to the Congress, you have to do a job for the people. This is not about Democrat or Republican at this point. We, I have decided that neither one of them can save us, but at least have common sense to know that people have died from COVID and even if they haven't died from COVID, they now have a disability that they have to live with. That is something that you cannot prepare yourself for. Someone who is newly disabled, who wasn't disabled before, and now has to deal with the fact that they may have a mental illness or they may have to lose their leg or their arm. This pandemic, more than anything, should have taught people that disability is at their doorstep. Whether it's the coronavirus or a regular accident, it's at their doorstep. So my message to Congress and President-elect Biden is your job is to work for the people, not for yourself. And your job is to make sure that we have what we need to survive. If the people in the community don't have what they need to survive, then you're not doing your job as a congressperson in the 50 states or internationally.
and you're just benefiting from the 1% and to Wall Street and the stock market. You're the ones that hold the power to how the system is run. So if you dismantle your own system and take it back to the people, we would owe you a greater debt because you're the ones that run the whole show, the Rockefellers, the Rosenthal's, we've heard the names. They're just as much responsible. The campaign don't. They're the ones running the entire show here. Not really the media, because the media is... The media only does, only twists what they can make it, make it look a certain way. But for me, I th- I think I think a lot of it comes down to realizing that people need help right now. This pandemic isn't gonna go. I'm gonna give the pandemic at least two three years to be here as a realistic person because it's not going away. Like, and for those that are not wearing masks. People that are disabled, immunocompromising, need you to wear a mask because we don't know if we're going to survive in this pandemic, even now, as you blindly don't wear a mask. And for the the non-mask wearers, I hate you. I, I think it's selfish. I think it's selfish that you do not wear a mask. I think it's selfish that you go to your parties. Meanwhile, someone like me can't go to any of these places right now. Because if I go, I could get COVID. Even as I am protesting and marching in the street, it's still unsafe for me. So again, (laughs) I'm giving a lot of people hell today, but I'm tired. Um, And I've been through hell in my life. You know, I I just want people to realize that people with disabilities just want to live our lives. And we're not asking you for too much. We're not begging you. I'm, I'm just asking people that if you see a disabled person and they're immunocompromising or they're just disabled and they're wearing a mask, be appropriate and distance yourself from us because we don't know if we're going to survive this pandemic right now. We just know that we're disabled and we have to live our lives every single day and we're hoping for the best and be fair to the elderly in your life. They want to still be here, but if you're still showing up to them without a mask, you're disregarding your own family members, you're not being fair to yourself, it's wrong. And as I sit here saying this, I'm crying because I couldn't even see my mother this Thanksgiving because I just didn't want to put her in a place. And based on what I just told you, you would see why. Um. So so again, it's it's being fair to your family members your friends, your the people that you love. This isn't about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, but wearing a mask protects people from getting this virus. Right. You know, so so whether you're Democrat or Republican or whatever you choose to be politically, you still have to wear a mask. This is not an optional. This is not a I'm not gonna wear a mask today because of my rights. We're not saying that. People are dying. Once people are dying and blood is on someone's hands, that's a huge problem for me, what, regardless of who's in the party. The Republican Party and Democratic Party, regardless of who you voted for, are a party of racists. And they have racist ideals in this system. When we look at the American system, it is rooted in racism. From killing indigenous people to taking Africans off of ships and telling them this is what they deserve and giving them the the three-fifths compromise 
as some type of bargaining chip. Black people have been screaming for reparations for 405 years. I love history, so I'm going to speak to history. You know, women have been fighting for voting rights and suffrage rights. Trans people have been here since the Stonewall and even before Stonewall, they have been here. We have to understand that all of these marginalized groups have been here, and it is a huge disservice to dismiss what they're saying, and we have to listen to what they're saying. Are we going to agree with everything everybody is saying? No. But we must be willing to listen. We may not understand where they're coming from, but we have to be open enough to say, you know what? I don't get it, but tell me why. Excellent point. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on with us today. Jermaine Greaves of Black Disabled Lives Matter. If you want to plug your clothing company one more time so we can make sure everyone hears it and they can stock up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's so many things I have to plug in. I'm going to plug in my actual event planning website, which is www.germainegreaves.com. The clothing brand is www.notlikeotherkids. Also, Black Disabled Lives Matter on Instagram and Twitter under the same name. On Twitter, it's Black Disabled Lives Matter with the regular matter. There's no S at the end, but you should be able to find it once you type it in on Twitter. Other than that, just look out for more. Because it's winter, we're doing more virtual actions with Writers for Rice. And those are the people that we've been working on with the virtual actions. Just stay tuned for those, and we will be back in 2021 when it's a lot warmer to do more actions (laughs) and educate people. Jermaine, thank you so much for taking the time. It was such a pleasure to meet you. I think these are issues that need attention and I'm happy to provide this platform anytime you have something to say. Yes, and I love what you all are doing and I am grateful for what you all are doing with being out there and with documenting stories and and, and um, educating people on what's important. Okay, man. And, Take care. Have a great day and a nice holiday. Yeah, you do too. Thanks.